Hello and welcome to Rebel FM episode 365. <laughs> no. Four. No. Three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish you had started at like 380 and had to count all the way down. And I every thought number was, you counted down. I thought last just, week nope. was 363 and so. <laughs> I don't think so. I think last week you said 365. No, last week I said 369. Maybe it is 364. Oh, 369. Yeah. There you go. So. I thought that when we started recording, but <laughs> nope, it's 363. Uh, well, here we are again. I'm at the Gagos. Joining me is Arthur Geese and Matt Chandrine. Hello. No James. No Joms. I don't know where James is. Where Texas, is he, Arthur? I think. He's in Texas? Yeah. Right. Is he at Rooster Teeth or something? No. Yeah. That's he, the only thing I associate with We can't say what he's doing. Oh, okay. But he's not at Rooster Teeth. I don't even remember what he's doing, so nah. I don't even know if he said to us, so he did. Yeah. He probably did. I'm the only one that remembers. But he's dead to us now, so that's how that goes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, James. Sorry you wow. had to find out this way. Got dark in here. <laughs> Video games, they keep going. They never stop. Do they, they keep though? going. <laughs> I I played some siege and you know what I will say? If you go from the main menu into your HUD options and turn off chat, all text chat, <laughs> it's made my game experience so much better. Oh That's man, like, I bet. There's definitely people that we play Dota with, including friend of the show, Brian Albert, where the first thing he does every match that we get into is he just mutes the entire other but team. But does that mute their text chat as well? Yes. There's a See, separate mute option for text and voice. Yeah. That's great. See, that's, for the other team you can't hear their voice anyway right that's great yeah but uh, rainbow desperately needs just the text mute because mm-hmm. it sucks that i have to cut my own team out as well mm-hmm. it's a it's the it there is it's a fully nuclear option oh there's, it is judging no. that's weird by our experiences with dota over the last week what rainbow needs is a six-month ban <laughs> yeah because uh, dota went on their like week their bi-weekly update cadence uh last week and one of the things they added was uh they're instituting six-month bans for toxic players. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, there's a, there is a toxic player report button in Rainbow, but I don't even know how that works, right? Because so, if we all five report them, well, that could happen to anyone. You just mm-hmm. get reported for to- So is it like you have a history of every day yeah. getting reported toxic, yeah, so then they investigate? Typically, the people who behave toxically behave toxically on a regular basis. But uh, anecdotally, people we play with have been talking about how they've there have been players that have behaved pretty shittily including one guy that was like <laughs> bought all their smokes and wasted them which are finite um, resources that take forever to read so in-game to fucking trolling on top of mm. right because he was pissed about the way the game was going sure. and so then he started like putting his items on the ground so he could destroy them and someone reminded him that he should enjoy his six month ban and then he picked up all his items and went back to playing <laughs> um, and there are definitely people on the Dota 2 subreddit complaining about how they got their six month ban so they were definitely rolling out and they were going out like the day wow. that they added it like wow. because it was tracking player behavior from before that right yeah warnings. i mean i yeah maybe we do need six month bans because yeah. they do ban people for actually cheating but it'd be nice if they actually ban people for it'd be nice if when they put that little little ban message they run in rainbow if it actually said for toxic behavior i'd be like fuck yes yeah fucking a oh because instead of just banned for instead of just like it, an it auto just ban for cheat banned. yeah it doesn't yeah. even tell you why it'd be nice yeah. to know like cheated or toxic mm. so that i could see that i think i could feel like it works yeah. Like these companies that are doing like these like persistent sort of games of service things need to take more of a fucking active hand in managing their yeah. communities. Well, yes, and especially because some of it is like you could literally just do a a bot that runs every night and looks for the N word and says, hey, <laughs> that person's fucking gone. But they don't. They literally you can say whatever you want with the yeah. reckless abandon. It's just a it's 
a fucking shame that developing developing video games is already an expensive prospect sure. and already is a high-risk prospect for uh, anything within certain budget levels, certainly. I think anything but of also, any budget level, yeah, Well, I was going to say, but especially anything that has a multiplayer component and a multiplayer communication component. So it, it's... You know, it's something that has to be factored in more and more. That, like, what do we do when our community inevitably turns toxic? There what do week, we do about that? There's a week of examples of games and studios demonstrating how hard it is to make things work right now. Like, Capcom mm-hmm. Vancouver had layoffs, mm-hmm. um, which is the Dead Rising team, basically, from the last however many years. Uh, and well, why did they have layoffs? They didn't say, but I assume that a project was canceled. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. The Sunless sees dev mm-hmm. announced that they're scaling back their sunless skies stuff and they had to lay some people off because sunless skies mm-hmm. did not sell nearly as well as sunless seas did mm-hmm. um and they're like ending their indie funding outreach program uh, uh, yeah and relic announced that dawn of war 3 did so poorly that they're canceling all the expansions all my game came out nine months ago right and now like you know if these were you know big time if they had a big multiplayer component to these games and they didn't have some kind of mechanism for banning toxic behavior, then the communities could turn toxic, and it ruins games. And it's like, you got to wonder, like, people who play a game and engage in toxic behavior realize the damage that they're doing, especially in a multiplayer environment. It's like, if I go in and I play Siege, and I'm just a toxic, beha- if I'm just a toxic actor all the time, so much so that I drive people away from the game, then eventually I've driven away my opponents. I've driven away the game. I've made it unplayable. Yeah, I guess just with Siege, it feels like there's enough people, you know, it's big enough that they're just like, eh, it'll never happen to them so yeah. for the fuck that they care. Yeah, I wonder if there is a critical mass for toxic communities where I, people just stop playing. I think, honestly, there's a sort of cynicism with the developers where they think if they ban the toxic players, then they're going to lose more players because... Wow people don't like to be banned for being shitty and they assume that all their players are shitty Mm. and i guess the question is like where does the majority of the audience stand are they shitty and like full of people using epithets and slurs or Mm -hmm. are they people that are turned off by people using epithets and slurs Mm -hmm. and i don't know the fucking answer to that question no neither do i anecdotally it seems (laughs) grossly weighed towards the shitty people well, and it se- well, it se- well, you know, they're always the loudest too, right? Oh, of course, I play with the eight people that never say one word and you in, yeah, know, and in don't public even think chat, about it. Yeah, and then I play with the one guy who just is relentless, and I'm like, oh my god, shoot me in the face. <laughs> so, yep, yep. Yeah. Anyways, meet your text chat. That's a long story short. There. Yeah, really. If you're playing on PC <laughs> on console, thankfully you don't ever have to deal with that. Yep. Um, you do have voice chat though. You do have voice chat, and but even that. But the nice thing is, is that that's just a quick mute from the menu. Mm-hmm. They do have that part right. Um, but I swear text chat just makes people worse. It just like, I don't well, know. Text chat, text it's chat more anonymous. is always, well, I mean, it's the same thing. Like it's been that way for as long as text chat has been in video games. It's been that way. Right. You I know? mean, even when I tried watching, a, I was watching part of the live YouTube stream of Elon Musk Tesla flying through space mm-hmm. and the chat for that is the vilest thing. Oh yeah. You know, of it just doesn't it matter. So yeah, yeah, text chat, you know, people are just like. Yeah. Did you, just, you we could talk about it because James isn't here and he isn't gonna sit there and get awkward and quiet. Uh <laughs> do you see the new Twitch guidelines that went out today? I did not. So they're basically gonna be and I guess like Fortnite announced that they're gonna do this too, that they're gonna start using like behavior elsewhere as like grounds for 
So if you're shitty on Twitter, for instance, then... If you engage in harassment or threats on other social media platforms, then that will be taken into account as far as, like, your behavior in the game and whether or not you're allowed to play or be banned. Wow. All right. Yeah. It sounds like, for, like Epic is being a little bit more proactive about it than Twitch is, but Twitch is, like, definitely making moves in a way that nobody else has. Yeah. Yet, like, YouTube is woefully behind, obviously. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's a, uh, you know, YouTube gets lots of, they still get lots of comments, but I mean, by default, <laughs> you know, my comments aren't even shown anymore. Dude, I, if I had a child, I would not allow them to use YouTube. I, f- I swear, sometimes I will be on YouTube and I will see like a header image that is basically pornographic uh-huh. all the time. I'm just like, dude, yeah. who, who's checking this shit anymore? Nobody. Yeah. It's too much. It's automated. Generally. Yeah. yeah. Although I think that they said that they were going to hire on more people to, to go over that <laughs> stuff, but it's still too much. Um, also, Twitch is going to try to crack down on, quote, titty streamers, which mm. is... They've been saying that for years. Yeah, but it's it's just weird. And yeah, it that feels is misguided weird. to me. Yeah, because it's like, where where do you draw the line? I mean, who's, who? it's like somebody going into a middle school dance and putting the ruler in between two people. How much cleavage is too much cleavage? Also, it just feels like... A lot of the complaints about it are motivated by dudes who are angry that they're not getting the recognition they think that they deserve. <laughs> right, and they're saying that like all these uh, all these chicks are getting. Uh, I'm sure it's part of. I'm sure it's followers also because of their because they're showing. I'm sure boobs. it's also it's partially to Twitch cover your ass because the, they've had times where there's ended up being nudity. Yeah. I mean, they can sure. prohibit nudity. Like sure. They can prevent prohibit sexual content sure like that's already there yeah. they don't need new rules for that that's already against the terms of service right um they're using they're they're saying that it's like to protect female users from harassment which is where it rubs a lot of people the wrong way yeah i have a i just have <laughs> a problem with, with any yeah i have a problem with anything that tells women how to dress yeah i mean i have complicated feelings about the quote titty streaming phenomenon which is i don't like using that term but i can't think of another term for it like it's just well, the, like the uh, colloquialism that it's, it's right. become known by well you you're basically saying women that wear revealing clothing as uh, as an enticement to get people to follow them on stream right which is or like, theoretically that's the enticement for a particular streamer but how do you then go and levy that at a streamer how do you know that like that's their motivation or that that's a tactic you know how do you, how can you separate that between right. a woman? Because I'm sure in just, some cases that absolutely is, and then some cases, who knows, right? It, th- yeah, that's just the way that they dress because that's the way they like to dress. Yeah, I don't get to tell them not to. Well, except Twitch is their own platform, so they do. Yeah, you know, I mean, Twitch is within their legal rights to set whatever terms of use they want to. Sure, yeah. but I don't think that it that makes them look good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So Rainbow. Rainbow played that, but also... So the other games I played that aren't Rainbow. I played two. I played Laser League, which came out today. Or the 8th, whatever the 8th was. Today. Today. <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a an online or couch multiplayer game, top-down. Yeah. yeah. And the... I the, seeing this a long time ago. Yeah, it's, it's a 3v3 or 2v2 game, and you're on your teams, and... Their whole thing is like they'd like to talk it up like it's this fucking gonna be a crazy esport or something. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I, I don't know that it'll ever be like a crazy esport, but it is interesting to watch. The the whole way you play is you pick your your character. Your character doesn't matter, but what matters is his ability and his like augment. And so his mm-hmm. ability. Okay, so the basic premise of the game is top down. 
you walk in and you hit these nodes. They're often moving. And when you hit it, that will shoot out lasers in a pattern, make walls. And if the guys on the enemy team hit your color lasers, they're dead. Hmm. And so you're running around, all of you on this field, trying to trip these nodes at set times. If you see a star one, so it'll emit the star pattern Mm -hmm. or lines that'll slowly go across. And then everyone has some sort of disable move. So you might have a a non-lethal tackle where you can grab a guy, hit him, and if you hit him into your laser, he's dead. Or you have a lethal strike, which is very lethal, but actually really hard to hit with. Mm. And at any given time, if all three of the enemy team are dead, you get a point. Ah. And if one of them goes down, there'll be a a res point where if the enemy team then runs over that point, they can bring that dude back. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly trying to... But while you're bringing that dude back, then that means the other team is hitting all these nodes that are popping up, which means you're going to now have to crazy. It's like a bullet hell game in the sense that you're like Mm. having to then dodge these crazy amount of lasers to then hopefully, you know, but meanwhile, all those are the enemy team's lasers so they can run right through it and then do a tackle and push you into a laser. Well, and are the are the lasers what are once they on they stay on and they're no they're on beam? and like they, the, they move out like a beam and then they go away oh you know okay. so or sometimes they'll be on for like 10 seconds and spinning oh okay and so you know if you're really if you're really awesome you can sit there and do dodge patterns and right. stuff and well, so I mean, are they always a beam or do, or do they fire shots too no sometimes they'll be staggered like that that that, oh, okay. that you know chunks and then right. sometimes they'll be on and then sometimes they'll just be a line hmm. and but the augment you have is like if uh, one of the pe- you can be a guy that does an AOE shock, mm-hmm. and then you can augment that to be like I want it to last longer, I want it to recharge faster, mm. you know, so that you can do it more often. Visually if, speaking, is this sort of like Commodore? It, no, it looks style? no, it looks up straight up like a modern day tr- top down Tron is what it looks like. <laughs> nice. So when you see it, it looks a lot. You're like, wait, when you first see it, you'll be like, is that a light cycle game? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. You're running around on foot, but the the lasers when they fire look very much like Tron light cycle, light cycle walls. walls. Oh, cool! So super fast, pretty interesting and fun. And when you score in between points, they definitely do like to play it up like your team celebrating and stuff. Like it's got <laughs> the showmanship of like a almost kind of like a Madden game in a it's way. It's from the Ollie Ollie dudes. Okay, level seven. So it's got a little bit of just that, you know, like your team celebrates and when they enter the field, they have like a pose and everything. Oh, and it's they been pre- early accent since, since last year, right? See, I had never heard of it. And so no, they present it all the time. Like all the arenas are like you're playing in London and there's crowds and everything. Like it's like a future sport is like what you're supposed <laughs> right, to be participating yeah, in. Right. Very much like a rocket. <laughs> it feels like a rocket league or something like uh-huh. that. And I will say like I only played a few rounds, but it is really fun and it's super fast. And... It's crazy how fast things can turn around where you're like, oh, all three of our team died. Or sometimes, you know, like there's a strategy to like you both start on one side of the field, but there's a strategy to having one of your players in the middle of all their players, Hmm. just hoping that he can dodge enough lasers to then trigger one on their side Mm -hmm. and then kill one of them. And then, like I said, while the others go to res, all of a sudden now you've like have the whole field as your lasers. It's cool. A really interesting game. I feel like I don't know how much success it'll find online. Like, yeah. I've been playing, able to find matches, no problem, but it also just came out. But I feel like that could definitely be, like, a really cool... Like, that game should probably be on everything. Then, <laughs> right, right. And then I could see, like, that being definitely... Like, that would be a game at an extra life. We could bust out and do 2v2 fights. Right, that's what I was going to say. Like, it seems like a good couch versus game, too. Couch yeah. party game, couch exactly. versus, yeah. It's very much that. Nice. Um, Can you play... Is there a way to play six people on couch? Uh, on a computer, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, like with a, with a computer, you could definitely hook up six Xbox controllers right. with a wireless thing or something. But on a... Right. I don't think the Xbox <laughs> or PS4 support. 
Yeah, I guess. I, I, I haven't thought about that in a long time. You know, they gone are the old days of the multi-tap <laughs> controller interface. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, on a, on a PC, uh, sure, go crazy, hook up six controllers. But yeah. otherwise, I guess you could just look for games online mm-hmm. at the same time with two computers or something mm-hmm. and do it that way. Um, and then the other game I played is called Regions of Ruin. Which Regions is like, of Ruin. It also just went into... It either just came out of Early Access. I think it just came out. It's a game, 2D side-scrolling, and the premise is what made me interested in it. You're a dwarf. So the of dwarfs, course. So, so that's, it's got you right there. <laughs> that's where it starts. It's very pixel art, and the dwarfs... Uh, when the humans started fighting against someone else, the dwarfs just backed out and went and holed up in their caves for thousands of years and just let the humans fight it out. Uh-huh. And when they emerged, dwarves. <laughs> and when they emerged from their cave, their mountain strongholds, they found out that not only were the humans gone and the other side said they fought, but now the earth was literally taken over by goblins and everything else. <laughs> and they paid for their hubris. Fuckers. They paid for their hubris by getting completely defeated and kicked out of their own mountain homes to where now they're surface dwellers huh. and they're all scattered. The dwarves. Wow. Yes. Yeah. The dwarves got their ass kicked too. Oh. And, so, and so you're this dwarven, but, this is very Lord of the Rings. Yes, and so you're this last dwarven hero, basically, who's going to try and reunite their people. It starts to feel a little bit like Banner Saga, because hmm. you start to find other dwarfs, and then you recruit them, and then based on their trades, they'll help you build up your base camp. So It actually hmm. it kind of sounds like dwarven Darkest Dungeon. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you hmm. find these guys as you're, you go into an area, you fight, you'll find a dwarf and be like, oh, you're a worker? Cool. And then you'll find a dwarven farmer as you travel throughout the map and you can always go back to places and he'll be like, if you ever have any spare workers, send them my way and we can work the field and get more food for the dwarves because uh, you're like uh-huh. rebuilding the dwarves more dwarf through society this. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's got like a surprisingly robust, like ARPG style, like this power combo, like try, you know, you put skill points into uh-huh. this. It's oh, very okay. traditional RPG in that sense. Yeah. And even though you play it completely with a keyboard, it's all WSAD to move in the mm-hmm. four arrow keys of your combat. Mm-hmm. You can do a surprising amount of like, crazy things like bring up your shield at just the right moment and then you have oh, so it's left so arrow it's is a light time. attack right arrow right arrow is a hard attack up mm-hmm. arrow is how you hold to like do a different like height or distance mm-hmm. throw weapon mm-hmm. and between that and like a dash and jumping and stuff you can actually do a surprisingly like robust oh. so it's a so it's a real-time 2d side scroller like platformer or? yeah yeah, yeah. And, but when you're in combat and stuff like when you take a hit it tells you like your neck's been punctured and stuff like that and oh. to get like Stuff repaired, you actually have to go back to like a dwarven apothecary. And the trailer for this game, the trailer for this game has quotes from people like who have played it and left Steam reviews or comments or whatever. And one Mm. guy said, "I died of a grazed buttocks." (laughs) (laughs) And so you have to like you have to like go visit your apothecary, and then like eventually, if you harvest more resources by going and collecting more dwarfs and going to these areas, you'll build like a real apothecary shop. Like you're actually Mm. slowly building out a dwarf village Mm -hmm. for your people to like return to, rather than being scattered. Orphans in the wilderness, and is and is the village a uh, is it a place that you run around in, or is it basically you can just run around menus? it? It's a, it's like a level you load into, mm, okay. and it's all when you first start, it's just dirt, and then eventually it's tents, leather tents, and then eventually you can build like stone buildings, and oh, okay. makes it slightly better each time you build it. And you have to make sure you have storehouses to store all the food right. that you need for these dwarfs and all stuff right. like that. So and it's a little eventually you build a mountain, maybe I don't know, <laughs> but it's like yeah, it's just it's just you know. Like I said, the premise is enough to be like, ah, oh, dwarf, 
down on their luck rebuilding their way yeah that's, that's <laughs> they might as well have just sent it to you yeah <laughs> and honestly and like a bill they could yeah, have yeah. could have not been a dwarf it's just a little blocky man yeah. it doesn't look they could have said it was a human or a dwarf. but in your heart you know it's a dwarf. <laughs> they yeah, look exactly. they, they, and it's not like there's actual storytelling it literally <laughs> is a series of blocks that appear of texas say and the dwarfs lock themselves into their mountain i'm like tell me more <laughs> of course they did it's like oh. my uh, i have a friend I have a friend, Paul, who will play anything that has dwarfs in it, and anytime there's an, an option to choose a dwarf as a character. That's interesting, because Anthony has a friend named Paul who has a friend named Anthony that will play anything dwarves in it. <laughs> a coworker of mine was telling me about dwarfs in Lord of the Rings, by the way, because uh-huh. he's actually read the Silmarillion. So have I, yeah. And I had, I had I no it. idea how d- deep it goes, like Dude. about dwarfs being like, dwarfs were an accident mm-hmm. made by one of the god's sons, mm-hmm. and... They don't have actually really have souls, or they didn't at first. They were just like automatons, and then the god ordered his son to murder all of them because he was like, "How dare you go and create things? I'm the only one who gets to create things. That's mm-hmm. why I made humans and elves." Mm-hmm. And then, just before the sun is about to strike down all the dwarf automatons, the god stops and he's like, "Just kidding. I just <laughs> wanted to make sure that you would listen to me. Now I'll give it's, them souls, and they get to be real living creatures." Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. "What? It, that, this is like uh, this is like Lord of the Rings lore." <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, it's because when. Uh, Tolkien was first writing all of the history of Middle-earth, which is where the Silmarillion came from. It was just before he went into World War I was when he started it all. And he was writing it. He was writing the, the early stuff that became the Silmarillion during World War I. And, uh, he, uh, and that's where like, the first like, early paper drafts are from. Huh. And uh, so... It was World War II era when he wrote... Lord of the Rings. No, it was well. That was when he wrote Lord of the Rings. But he started this stuff in like the in like the teens and twenties. Yeah, and uh, then the older that he got, he actually he wasn't very religious when he was younger. But when he became older, he became more Catholic. Yeah, he also and, de- famously developed a pretty close relationship with like C.S. Lewis. Yeah, like, but they fought yeah. over religion because C.S. Lewis's stuff was all all like extremely thin Christian allegory, right? Yeah, and uh, so for but for Tolkien, he did he did like directly reference biblical stories. Right, I mean in that the one sounds like Isaac and Abraham. Like, exactly, it's the Isaac and, uh, Isaac, and Isaac and Abraham story, and uh, he he di- deliberately did that because his whole purpose was to you know as everybody knows was to create a mythology for the United Kingdom in the in the same sense that you know the Greeks and Romans have a mythos, but he wanted to tie it into stories that people knew so that it could also be. Not just, you know, some, some loose Christian allegories and some references in it, but also so that people would feel like, oh, so that's where that story came from, but it's actually ours. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I had no idea when I learned about all this shit that I was like, I had always heard there was this book, The Silmarillion, that developed some stuff, oh, I but I was it. like, I had no idea it goes back to like, this is how everything started uh-huh. and stuff like that. That's pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, it starts with like, you know, there was nothing and then there was something Yeah, <laughs> kind of story. It's great. It was like so inspiring because I, I read that in uh, like after I read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings in middle school, I read, I just like got obsessed with Tolkien stuff. So I have, there's the Silmarillion and the Book of Unfinished Tales. And then there's like 12 volumes of the history of Middle Earth. <laughs> and it's not, it's not like a, a straight narrative, the, well, the, the way that the Silmarillion is like basically uh, a, a telling of historical myths from, you know, early times on to the basically right to the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. It's like the David Foster it's, Wallace of the Lord of the Rings mythos, basically. 
I don't know what that means. Oh, never mind. Because <laughs> I don't know David Foster Wallace. Really? Uh, no. But um. the uh, the history of Middle Earth is basic is mostly work from Christopher Tolkien, his son, going through his father's papers and letters and everything, and reconstructing the thought process of how the mythos, the backs of the Lord of the Rings, all came out. So it's like you'll see the same stories repeated again and again and again through all twelve volumes. But it'll be like this is this story that he wrote in 1967 and it's different than the version that he wrote in 1953 because he had evolved the story in this way so it's not just you know the entire history of middle earth but the history of writing the history of middle earth that's interesting in a way i feel like there's actually like interesting parallels with that that would be it would be really cool to read that and then like if i was teaching like a class about like the Bible, I would be like, let's read this and then let's read the books of the Bible Mm -hmm. because that's actually exactly how they were. It Mm -hmm. was like several people trying to write the story of Jesus over the period of a hundred years and how much it changed as it went along. And they thought about thought processes more and developed concepts. And yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, man, that is, that is a way more than I thought (laughs) I would ever know about it. And I'm not sad about that. I'm just saying it's just interesting. It's really, really good stuff. I got so into it because, you know, it's like you realize that like before he wrote The Hobbit and before he wrote The Lord of the Rings, he wrote The World. Yeah. Like it was all all there before any of it. I feel like most writers just kind of have an idea of the world and then it kind of develops as they write exactly yeah the the story not like a background you know well that's what that's what makes the lord of the rings so effective as a myth telling device because it has a history that backs it up and at the end of the return of the king um all the original publications and the most more recent ones do but for a while they didn't have this there was like huge like uh indexes and like pieces of the silmarillion and stuff listed at the end of it that were like history of like Rohan and Gondor and all oh, that. So kind you of could stuff. just read up on it when, so they, you could read, when they say it, Rohan for the first time. You're like what? Yeah, ah, uh, the horse people. Okay, right. I it was now. like it was like brief, brief versions of the history that's uh, to outlaid know, like, in the why they have this connection with the White City and why, yeah. how back does it go and yeah. why do they? Yeah, and it, this is all the lore that you know that they pull from for things like Shadows of Mordor, you know, and the Nine Rings of the Men and the Elves and uh, you know where and the Dwarf Lords and all of that stuff. And the history of Shelob and uh, Melkor and Melchior, who is the original evil god of which Sauron was a lieutenant and then kind of took his place. You know, all of that is in the Silmarillion where all of that comes from. Yeah. It's fucking great. I love it so much. <laughs> Nerds. The uh, it was the it was the original thing that made me want to be a writer when I was in high school. I, I somewhere I still have the around 600 or so pages that I did trying to write my own like world myth because I wanted to write an entire history of a world before I wrote a story just like Tolkien. And uh, that was I was fucking bananas. Yeah. And then I, I, I stopped when I was, I don't know, 23 or 24 or something like that. When I went back and reread it and disgusted my, and was disgusted <laughs> with myself because I was like, this is the exact same story as the Silmarillion. <laughs> but like a lot of fantasy is basically the fucking Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But I was still of the age before I was like wise enough to realize that every idea has been thought of before. I just I was just beating myself up for not like, being original. The only really smart thing that George R. R. Martin did that's specific, which is not to say he's dumb, I'm just saying, is to take the fucking dwarves and elves out. 
<laughs> right. Like <laughs> nowadays, yeah. What if it's just man? You just uh-huh. a shitty man. You just uh-huh. need one hook. Is really all you need. Like. Yeah. So I was hearing some of my coworkers talk about something called the Stormlight Archives or something. Which I is love like it. A, I read it. Yeah. And it sounds like it's pretty much Game of Thrones in a lot of ways, except it exists on a world where there's perpetual storms. Okay. Yeah. That's all you need to know. It's, it's like means, a one-liner. It's the fucking uh-huh. Lord of the Rings so, <laughs> on a world full of storms. So, yeah. And so it's just like, yep. you know, like I said, it didn't sound particularly original, but it had a hook. And I was like, well, yep. that hook can make things kind of cool. It's yeah. like Game of Thrones, like it's Lord of the Rings with. More tits and less elves. <laughs> right. <laughs> a lot more rapey. Yeah. Well, I don't know if the book how rapey the books are. It's hard to separate. In the oh, the books are more rapey. Oh, are they really? Oh, yeah. Because the show is profoundly the, rapey. The show times. is profoundly. The books are just as rapey. But it's like that's every HBO show, right? Like that is yep. pretty rapey. Yeah. Like Westworld, mean, pretty rapey. Yep. Rome. <sighs> pretty rapey yeah it would, it would be nice to pre- it would be nice to have a show you know that actually deals with a lot of sexuality that doesn't have a lot of rapey huh. um that's in a fantastical games. setting anyway <laughs> yeah i was just thinking what other hbo shows have you seen oz oh no that had i had <laughs> some yeah. prison rape so yeah jeez yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know why twelve-year-old me would stay up and watch Oz sometimes. Like, because it was HBO. I know, but I would turn it on and be like, "The fuck is this?" And then I'd be engaged with these characters as like a twelve-year-old. I'm like, "That's messed up, man. This is crazy." Yeah. So. By the way, those pages that I wrote were handwritten. Of course, because <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have a really. Were they on really parchment on computer? Or no, vellum? No, just college ruled line paper. <laughs> I mean, I don't even remember what our first word processor was. I know yeah. we, I, because I remember we used to, I used to have, I used to write things by hand mm-hmm. and then dictate it to my mom who would type them. Oh, wow. And, and then the she, you, I was going to say, you had then, a very patient And then mother. she would print it out on that paper we had to tear off the sides. Yep. 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 Dot yeah. matrix. Yeah. Dot matrix. Yeah. yeah. We had a dot matrix printer that was so fucking yeah. loud. Yeah. And we so, had an Apple IIc at the time, but I couldn't stand to stare at the monitor long enough to write on it. <laughs> it was le- a lot less frustrating for me to, to write in cursive than it was for me to type. Yeah. I doubt kids even nowadays take a typing class. I didn't learn to type think, on a keyboard until oh, I was in high school. No, they They've definitely stopped typed. teaching cursive in some schools. They have mm-hmm. stopped teaching handwriting in some schools, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I learned cursive even when I write I learned now, in like third grade. Like, I don't really write cursive. It's like a bastardized version of cursive. Oh, yeah. Script. All the time. If you asked me to write a cursive Z right now, I'd be like, uh, this? Oh, man. Does that pass? I've, I've wrote, I'm just enough older than you guys that like, all of my high school and many of my early college papers like were handwritten before they were typed or they were like turned in like you know in class essays or it's like well, write a five in college essay i definitely and, still had to write five paragraph essays for you know in blue books you had to go by the blue yeah, book and uh-huh. do the essay right there on the spot yeah answer two essay questions turn it in type yeah yeah so i don't know if that i'd be curious to see if that's how it is i mean i've only been removed from college for like 12 years mm-hmm. in the span of 12 years have they moved to like I can just do it on my computer in the class. No. I don't know. Yeah. No. Because that would mean that you have a computer in class <laughs> yeah. when you're taking a test. So no. Hmm. I really, uh, I actually enjoy writing in cursive. Yeah. I could definitely still do it. Actually, I found at this point because I, you know, when I worked at IGN, I was still at least writing by hand fairly regularly. Hmm. And now I never wow. write by hand. So now sometimes when I go to write by hand, I misspell words that I know how to spell in real life. Because uh-huh. I just start writing and I'm like, 
the because your muscle memory is fucked up. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. I just don't write by hand hardly at all anymore. You so. retain information better when you write it by hand. One thing that I've noticed huh. about writing by hand is that uh, um, I write in uh, a lot shorter sentences because uh, because I'm because I can't write as fast as I can think, and I definitely can't write as fast as I can type. So, uh, you know, my, my sentences are a lot briefer when I handwrite. For sure. Uh, when, I, when I have writer's block, one of the ways that I get around is writing by hand. Oh, yeah. Because I don't feel writer's block the same way with a pen in my hand as I do looking at a blank screen. That's interesting. I never thought about that. A lot of reviews, like, started as handwritten reviews. Yeah. Nice. Especially when I had to do it, like, super fast. It was like, well... I don't have time to fuck around, so I guess I'll write this by hand. I don't have time for writer's block. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Oh. So anyway, dwarves. <laughs> yeah, dwarves. There's lots of Did games. Did you talk about. about how that game is? Like, if it's good? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the combat's really actually pretty interesting. It's, like like I said, surprisingly... Does it feel deeper than something like Terraria? Mm, yeah, I don't know how much blocking it's... I felt like in Terraria, I just kind of slashed and hoped to live through it. Right. And, you know, much more like Minecraft, whereas in this, there's definitely, like, a rhythm. Like, you see the guy raise up a shield, you have to do the heart attack to break it. If, mm. you, if you time your attack right, you'll stun him. It's very... It's not groundbreaking. It's the type of shit you've seen in a million years before, but it is there to make it like a good combo sort of combat game. But I feel like the combat is like, it's almost like, a, in some ways, I don't know, the com in a lot of RPGs, sometimes the combat feels secondary to the mechanics. You're doing the combat to get through it so that you can do the mechanics that you're really into, which in my case <laughs> is like getting more dwarfs and building up the space. <laughs> right. And the combat is just a means to that end. So do you feel like that that same way with this game it's just a means to an end yeah so far but i also haven't like gotten great gear yet because as mm. you're killing people you literally are putting on like oh a leather helm oh a mm -hmm. steel helm oh the steel helm's really beat up i gotta drop it on the ground and put on this leather one because oh, it's okay. not so you are like actively swapping out gear and stuff like that and getting different weapons and also i'm very low in the progression tree like by the time i get all the way up who knows what my skills will be like and what yeah. magic i didn't really look so yeah. for some okay. reason this is making me think of, a, of the game wizards and warriors which is stupid because it's not even remotely close to that <laughs> no but the combat i could see why it would make you think that with the way i describe it, it sounds mm -hmm. very wizard and warriors that was one of those nintendo games where it's just like that game is really fucking hard there's definitely <laughs> a level in that game that i got stuck on forever <laughs> i don't even remember that game there's, I think, think it's like the third stage. It's a lava stage, and there are these bubbles that rise up mm -hmm. from the lava. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to ride the the bubble up to like a new part of the level. And I just could not figure it out. Mm. I feel like I feel like sometimes like the combat feels a lot better, but it feels a little bit more like Act Razor. Like the main reason you played Act Razor was the God game part mm -hmm. and doing the base. But then there was sometimes that you had to be the God come to Earth and do the side scrolling part. Right, and that's kind of. The combat in this so far is like, I come and I do it when I have to, but I really just want to work on doing my base management. And although the RPG aspect of your character is still very driving to collecting loot and all that, yeah, um, sounds like so. it. Uh, well, that sounds like fun. I'll have to pick that up. It is really, it is actually really cool. It's a really cool, really little game. Um, nice. And that's about it for me. I didn't, you know. I haven't played a whole lot. Yeah, I'm looking for I, something to play on my Switch. Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking about picking up Steam World Heist because I never played it. I heard right. really good things about that. Steam World Dig 2 is on there, too. I have so. that. That is good. I should mm. finish that. But I've heard Steam World Heist described to me as 
2D XCOM is what I've always heard it described as. Mm, and cool. That's enough. Yeah. Of an appeal. Yeah, seriously. I would actually play through XCOM as well if they put that on Switch. You play through it again? Yeah. I wonder if it would just be the iPad version. That's what I would imagine it would be. I guess like, well, I don't know. There's like a 360 and PS3 version of it. So theoretically they could port that to Switch with some compromises. Yeah. Hmm. That's true. Um, Yeah. I mean, like I, you know, the compromises they made for the iPad one is like never did any of the draw on the camera parts or anything like yeah, that you know right. I'm, I'm actually okay with that though because it just meant that it kind of made everything feel faster yeah exactly so i do I, f- I feel like for is probably like looking at mario versus rabbits or whatever and thinking like how can we look at what this does on the system and sort of take advantage of things i would also play civilization if they brought it to switch like i i feel like hmm. the time is ripe for a civ rev on consoles yeah Sure. Like rev, sure, just some type of like deep like lose myself for hours game. Mm-hmm. Although you rev. have you have a, a lose yourself for hours game to play this weekend. Yeah. Because of the Civ expansion. Oh came my out god, today. the uh I haven't had a chance to play it, but I did watch some of their dev live stream today for about an hour. I think they were doing it for like five hours today or yeah. something, but I watched about an hour of it and I'm like, I want this so bad. I've heard there's a uh, I wish I didn't have to work this weekend. A mod for Civ six that adds Trump to the game. Oh god. And it, I, but, yeah. But it's a continue the guy's really good about updating it based on when Trump introduces a new policy. Yeah. He changes that to fuck to make that guy fucked up in that way. So yeah. you're like, well, it's like, well, let's, what are we going to do with this now? Yeah. The thing is, is it doesn't, it's, uh, I saw the, an article written by, uh, Patrick Klepik on Waypoint about that mod and about how it's not meant as a troll against Trump. It's like meant to like translate Trump's policies into in-game effects. Yeah. Like the kind of stuff that like it, how it would apply, like, and it, and it always changes like, yeah, Trump's, uh, available perks and hidden agendas into uh into the language that the game uses for you know economic and social changes and that yeah kind of stuff. i'd just be i mean yeah it's an interesting experiment yeah. you know um, and yeah he like he mods the and he changes the changes the mod based off trump's ever-changing agenda and positions on things but man the uh the stuff that the systems that they're adding into the update looks super cool. Yeah, I haven't followed it that well, but I I've had a, my boss at work is always talking about it. He was out of the office today, mm-hmm. and he's been saying for weeks, "When that comes out, I might be gone. When that comes out, <laughs> I might be gone." <laughs> so it does. So apparently, like its biggest thing is that it it greatly enhances the efficacy of nonviolent strategies. Like, yeah, which has always been a really hard point in that game that it's always been like easiest to win by conquest. So. Uh, um, well, I always at least maybe it's just not the way only I easiest to win, but the other civs like actively try to engage you. Right, in, so, in yeah, war. so you easy, had to build an army to defend. Like. Yeah, you always had to build an army to defend. And you have but to the, expand your empire to win. Like, uh, well, not so much in in Civ Six. Uh, you you do have to expand at least a little bit. In Civ Five, it was possible, and I actually like to play the game. It was possible to do a one city win. I like the idea of cultural victories and stuff like that. Which is yeah. that that like the 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 easiest way to win in Civ Five with the cultural a cultural win was, was one, one city, city. just yeah. building up that one city, uh-huh. which was pretty awesome. I love that. I, I actually missed that in Civ Six. In Civ Six, uh, I've effectively won the game using a doing doing a culture win or the um, uh, what's the other one? Anyway, uh, with just three cities. 
So, but, so there are there are systems in place where you can play a small empire and get advantages for being a small empire in order to get certain wins. I think I also got a scientific win as a three city. Yeah, thing. it's just tough because if you're only three cities, to your 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 troop output is so low that it is tough if someone decides to make a move against you. Right, but you can you can build up such if you have the right location or whatever build you can a good build city up city state. Yeah, and like you can have really high diplomacy with city states. And uh, I think the, the one that I won, the science one, uh, I had. Wow, that dog is upset. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a small dog. It lives upset. <laughs> I think when. Uh, Jesus, please walk on with your dog. Maybe it's just a really effective car alarm. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Car alarms that are just animal sounds. That would be awful. Never mind. Forget I said that. Please don't anybody do that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think when I won using a science win as a small empire, I had I had allied myself with military city-states, and I was their primary benefactor, so they were constantly sending me military units. Oh, okay, so you didn't even have to do your own production. Yeah, I never did my own military production. They just and if kept you ever went to war, to they were going to go to war with you. So Yeah. I see and, this uh, apparently adds temporary alliances. It like, does, and you can like up the uh, so, it ha- and it also it has four or five different types of alliances, and yeah, you, you can right. only yeah, you can only have one Instead type of, of alliance alliance yeah, and you can only have one type of alliance with one type of civilization. So you can be in alliance with I think a bunch of different civilizations, but uh, you get benefits from being in that alliance, and that alliance levels up the longer that you are allied with. Somebody. So if I was like super allied with you, that means I can't be super allied with anyone. No, else. you can be, oh. but you have a different type of alliance. So with me, maybe it's an economic alliance. So when you've leveled it up, you're getting plus thirty gold a turn. But you have a cultural alliance with somebody else, and theirs is a level three cultural alliance. So you're getting plus however many you know culture per turn. Hmm. Um, so, or, so that's how, so that's how the different alliances work and that's how they limit. So you can't just be allied with everybody on the map. You can only be, you can only have like one type of ally with one particular person. And of course, you know, it's the ones you would expect, like economy, culture, science, military, you know. Um, and then the one thing that looks extremely intriguing is that they have, um, they have, uh, espionage. Uh, now works on city states Mm. and that looks really great because you know with city states it's always about how many envoys you have with that city state and that is a measure of your influence now you can just rig the election yeah now you can essentially uh, something like that you can send a a spy to a city state and at least the part of the you know there's probably more options than this but when i was watching their dev stream uh, the they used their spy to instigate a diplomatic incident against the envoys of the other empire, and uh, it kicked out their chief envoy, which uh, goes back into their that other empire's pool, but can't be used for like five turns. And uh, then there's a certain number of like the baseline envoys that are basically just gone. They're just kicked out, and they can so you never basically come back. just like close their embassy for them, basically. Yeah, <laughs> by instigating a diplomatic in, a, in so like uh, like you were saying, there's more ways to accomplish the game non-violently. So that's it's a dick move, but you didn't kill anybody. Sure, you know? <laughs> you're just cold warring these people slowly but surely. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, the um, like we've 
said many times on this show with for access games in general when they add in systems they do it right and they make sure that it plays well with all the other systems in the game we haven't always said that well, I've, I've said that ever since Civ 4 sometimes stuff works better than other times I feel like for access is pretty done pretty well the only game I feel like more recently that they stumbled with pretty hard was uh, their most recent space one like that one was the Civ beyond the start yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. like I'm uh, yeah I'm one it wasn't of the few bad. People that love that game. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't. A lot of people complained about Civ Five when it came out too, though. That's true. Yeah, and but yeah, then... Civ Five got got made good to a lot of people. I feel like yeah. the thing is that like every new numbered Civ release sets the steps backwards in some ways to make like a new base game, as opposed to the greatly expanded game that people were used to. These Civ games are out. like the original games as a service. Yeah, it's out. It's an early access, so <laughs> give it two expansions and it'll be the real Civ. Um, oh yeah, so. Civ five well, Civ five, you know, like they, they didn't have religion or espionage at all when it first came out. And those were some really big expansions when those came in and they were integrated so well. Yeah, but they did they did it well when they did it eventually. I don't know. Yeah. It's, making games is hard. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta pair systems back to bring everything up to spec. Yep. And, you know, th- this one, the whole idea that, like, a city has territory instead of just a nation and the city districts, you know, take up a tile on the map and stuff like that. That's a huge addition. Um, it changed the way so many things work. So I think that I think you're you are totally right, Arthur, <laughs> in that, like, they invent a bunch of new stuff and they step back with, like, the raw number of s- types of systems that they offer. But their systems, I think, are so well integrated that it's always worth the wait. I mean, it's like every sort of builds a pretty big chunk of the game from scratch. Yeah. Like to do new things with it, yeah. Because they push the game as far as they can with the systems it has with every expansion, yeah. Until they can't really push it anymore, right? The um, thing that they then it'll be interesting to see with Rise and Fall, uh, you know, with the new diplomatic options and stuff, how much that satisfies the 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 longstanding complaint that they've still never really addressed is that you know there aren't enough diplomatic options, and it feels like the AI has more things that they can do to you than you can do to the AI. Yeah. I'm biased, but I think Colin's review at Polygon is actually quite good in discussing mm. like all the changes of the game. He's pretty up on it. Like He liked it an awful lot. Um, I'm sure he's up on it. And he definitely went in looking for ways to play the game that were not related to conflict. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. That's what I would do, too. Um, I usually go conflict my first time through. <laughs> I usually go... Or I, s- I try and go cultural... And then until someone pisses me off. The first setback, like, it's straight to war. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like the French. We are nothing but culture. We're bringing all this stuff. Kill everyone. Be Napoleon for a while. Ah, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't play anything new um, for like a variety of reasons. Like I had my first critique of the semester this week, which meant that like, all of last week and the first few days of this week were frantically spent trying to look like I had been doing anything for the rest of the semester. <laughs> How did um, that go? But I mean, you had been doing things. Not, but not like, like a little practice, but not really work. I didn't feel like, mm-hmm. um, did you write poetry when you were in high school? Oh, I know very, you did. Oh, very, very bad poetry. Okay, so imagine <laughs> writing that poetry uh-huh. and then having to read it in front of 12 other people. <laughs> so was, was uh, it, was or, it, uh, did everybody else think, that it was, uh, think it was as bad as you thought it was? 
I I think that was something just falling. I don't think that was a yeah. gunshot. Wait, hold on. I, so you had to present the work that you've been doing this semester to the other grad students? Yeah. Okay. And a professor. Of course. Right. But you that's not the first time that's happened since you started it's your grad second school. time. No, right? it's no I mean it's happened multiple times, but yeah. this is the first time this semester. Right. Uh, uh, uh. So it's a new group And they of wanted people. to see new shit. Well, I mean, they saw some old shit as well, but it was just like they hadn't seen my work before. Mm-hmm. So. Oh. Okay, so now it's it's the first time, so it's not like they're coming. And this one works differently than last time, where last time it was just like the teacher thinking of things to say for an hour, and it would get like brutal and awkward. Mm-hmm. And in this, everybody walks in, and uh, no one says anything for ten minutes, and they just write write things down on note cards, uh-huh. and then the Inquisition begins. <laughs> <clears throat> so why did you choose to do it this way? <laughs> yeah, uh, one person asked, "Why are these not photographs?" What? Because yeah. they're paintings. Aren't you yeah. a painter? Yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome to art school. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, it was fine. It's it's just stressful. Yeah. I always think everything that I'm doing is terrible and that everyone's going to laugh at me. Yeah. Well, welcome um, to the fucking club. So there's that. And like, I don't know. I'm still feeling like a little residual holiday blah, hmm. um, which makes it hard to get into some stuff. And also, I'm just like... There's a lot of games coming out right now, but very little that has any sort of relevancy to me mm. whatsoever. Like, I'm not into a bunch of quirky Japanese shit. Um, and Monster Hunter is very popular, but that's what Monster Hunter is. Monster Hunter is a extremely Japanese game in an extremely you Japanese series. You want to watch series. cats cook for you? I do want to watch <laughs> cats cook for me. I'm just not going to pay $60 to do that and hate the rest of the game. Uh, I just watched a video today. Somebody on Twitter, let me, I should bring this up so I can give this person a shout out as a thank you. Um, but yeah, they, they sent they sent a video on Twitter uh, at Khrushchev um, sent a video uh, that was all about like the uh, a kind of a, a brief overview of all 14 weapons in the game and like just has it's just somebody narrating over some pre-recorded footage about like you know advantages and disadvantages to the weapons in monster hunter and i was i was watching it's like well i already i don't know how these weapons work and then i watched this video and i was like it just made me want to play all of those weapons in monster hunter because the at least the description of them and the way that they're supposed to be played uh and how different they are from one another just made me want to experience the the actual hunting of monsters right, in a different but it's way. Still, it's still Monster Hunter. Like, oh, well, yeah. Uh, and, like, I don't care about Shadow of the Colossus because I've never been interested in Shadow of the Colossus. Like, the premise of that game is enough to turn me off to it, hmm. which apparently pisses some people off going by Susan Arendt's comment, like, Twitter feed this week, where she specifically said, it looks like an amazing artistic like in technical achievement, yeah. but like the premise of it, it is just so alienating to me that I'm not interested. The uh, of like going around and murdering these big creatures, yeah, like of killing a bunch of like one of a kind ancient beings to bring this person back to life. Yeah, I, I never even really understood the story when I played that game. It was literally just about the puzzle aspect of it. But in hindsight, now when I think about playing it again, I'm like, I don't really want to kill him. Yeah, I actually have that feeling. <laughs> Maybe. You should let them step on you a few times. <laughs> the uh, and you know, there's way too much to talk about about what that game is trying to say and like. But 
the the bottom line is that yes, you are killing things that maybe shouldn't be killed. You're a bad and, person, and you're supposed to you're supposed to feel that by the end of the game. Yeah, well, and, and, I and, feel it now. And yeah. I did, so and I did feel it when I was playing it. But yeah. I will say that if you can divorce yourself of that a little bit when you play it, it's also just an excellent platform puzzle game. Oh yeah, like the figuring yeah. out of how to accomplish each thing is really interesting. and i think that there are interesting conversations about the remaster and like mm-hmm. how it departs from the sort of original and and fills in a lot of information that wasn't there in the first place and i think we've been having these conversations about remasters mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. i think halo ce anniversary yeah probably yeah because that was like one of the first games where they radically overhauled the graphics and like actually these in a lot of cases don't look nearly as good mm as what happened as what came before because it's it doesn't have any sense of cohesion like there's not like a unifying sense of like aesthetic or style to it um and that now that in that for shadow i haven't played the new shadow Colossus, and i'm probably not going to either just because i've played that game so much that i i can't really see paying 60 dollars to play it again even though it looks i think it looks great at least from the videos that i've seen it seems like they're at least able to have that sense of cohesion with I, the remaster yeah it's just like it's not cohesive in the way that shadow of the Colossus was cohesive initially. Like there was a visual style to that game. Like it was, it was about visual style. Like Mm -hmm. it was built around that sort of idea, like a visual idea. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that what I've seen of the remake is that it's just like a visually impressive game with character designs that are like taken from shadow of the Colossus. Yeah. I don't know yet. I haven't played enough um, to be able to judge, but like, I don't, care about that yeah. game no and, and, I, and I get the feeling of you know not wanting to play something that is uh, that establishes a premise and a feeling that you just don't want to experience i mean i feel that way about um oh, what's that aronofsky movie tree of life in the uh i love that i, I love that movie from a distance i saw it once <laughs> in the theater i'm never gonna watch it again i feel that way about no country for old men is tree of life yeah. the one with uh brad pitt and oh. Jessica Chastain. No, I was thinking, uh, I thought of him. Didn't he make a movie with the guy that played Wolverine? And hmm, I can't think of what it was called. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I know I, what you're talking I, about. I can't remember what it was called. And I watched it with yeah. Nick Sutner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was good, but never again. Yeah. Never it's the one that he's again. like most known for before Black Swan, right? Tree of Life? No. The movie that Aronofsky made. The Fountain? The Fountain. The that's fountain. what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. I watched that, and that's with Wolverine, right? That's yeah. got Wolverine. Yeah. Is it Wolverine? Is yeah. it Hugh Jackman? Yeah. It's Hugh Jackman. Yeah. yeah, and I remember Nick, Nick Sutner was like, you gotta watch it. And I watched it. Mm-hmm. I was like, that was good, but I'm okay with never I, again. Like, never I li- again. I liked the, I liked the Fountain. Um, I think that Tree of Life is a masterpiece as far as movie goes, but the subject matter of it um, is, and I don't, I can't really talk about it without spoiling it for people, but the subject matter of it is so personal to me and so gut-wrenching that like when we were done with that movie like i was there with my then girlfriend now wife uh and uh some other friends and stuff and i was like you guys have to all go somewhere else and i have to be somewhere else away from everybody for like hours eleanor i'll see you at home (laughs) it was and it was like i don't ever want to feel that way again so sure. I will never watch that movie again, sure. but I, I can feel appreciate like that's it like from afar. Uh, you know, what's that movie where everyone's doing drugs and caught up in doing drugs? Requiem, Requiem for, for a Dream. Like, I enjoyed that movie. I've never seen that movie because I've heard so many people I enjoy, talk about yeah, being I enjoyed, by I enjoyed it. that mm-hmm. movie. It was like, a, it is a good movie, but by the end you're just like, 
Is there enough showers in my life to make me feel better after that? I don't know if there is. I feel like uh, there's a movie called House of Sand and Fog uh, that has Jennifer Connelly and Ben Kingsley in it. And that's like a movie about people destroyed by their dreams, like in a very quintessentially American way. Mm -hmm. That is like, it is incredibly well made and one of the most soul crushing things I've ever seen. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, Being a soul crushing in a different way. I did watch all of Altered Carbon. So did I actually. That is not a great show. I uh, I still really enjoyed it just from the sci-fi nerdy nerdiness of it in me, but uh, its significant departures from the book are definitely to the series. Did you, so did you read the book? I've read all the books. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they like shoot themselves way the hell in the foot as far as going into the later books with shit yeah. that they do in this for absolutely no reason. Yeah. Like there are a lot of characters that are amalgamated or cut out completely or just like killed. Yeah, and like, they, they very didn't, quickly. Right, and well, they didn't need to. They didn't need to expose the stuff that you learn in the later books in this in this first series. Not only that, it but they change the shit that it reveals in the later books. Yeah, and like, like I can't remember enough about them to to acknowledge everything that they changed. But I was like, I don't remember her doing that because I'm sure that she didn't. Whatever it is, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I it it it's. It's kind of astounding how, like, fundamentally it misreads a lot of the sort of, like, philosophies of the books. Yeah. Like, Do you think if you had never... Well, I guess you can't divorce yourself from it. How could you know if you never it, read the like, books, would it be good? Even separated from the books, like, it's still schlocky and predictable. Uh, it is. Yeah. And, and it's and it's really, like... and it, Which is a tragedy, because the books aren't. Yeah. It, it's strange that it takes some of the sort of more unconventional, like, more revolutionary ideas of the books and makes them really predictable and conventional. Mm-hmm. Like, in the books... There is a revolutionary movement called Quellism, mm-hmm. uh, and it's based around this person named Quell, but it gets his name from this this seaweed plant that grows on this alien world that it takes takes place in. And the thing about this seaweed is that like it grows like crazy in water, but when water is gone, it dries up and basically turns into dust that scatters around that will lie dormant for years, decades, or even centuries. And the second it it touches water, it it springs back up and grows again. And so the point is in a society where you are essentially immortal, where Mm -hmm. you live from life to life and where you can become a different person because you can inhabit another body that like these revolutionary movements can be extremely passionate and fired up. But the second that the crackdown comes and it's no longer viable to participate in that revolution where the revolution will be broken, that everyone can sort of split off and disappear and reintegrate into society and wait for the next opportunity for revolution to spring forth. Like it is about the potential for immortality to spur social change that you can live, that you don't have to not have a life to not be human in order to, revolt against social inequity and injustice and basically the series its only premise is immortality is bad yeah that's all that's it's just saying immortality is uh not only is immortality bad evils. but we need to make sure nobody is immortal anymore right exactly yeah. um also like in the book uh the main character takeshi kovach is what's is formerly what's known as an envoy which is like basically galactic secret police Mm -hmm. like they are the cia the nsa 
and like a death squad mm-hmm. mixed in. They they are taught a bunch of sort of like psychological dissociation that lets them go Jump into a easier. new body without any sort of like download dues is what's their mm-hmm. what they're called. Like they're taught not to expect anything and that allows them to adjust to everything. Um, they pick up social cues. They pick up cultural quirks they super fast. Yeah. yeah, they roll with it. Yeah. Um, and so they're used to basically break the backs of like insurgencies and wars and things like that, and to like penetrate cells of Keep the enemy. Shit in line. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. like they are. They are the Stasi, the secret police. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a military engagement that goes catastrophically wrong and a bunch of his fellow soldiers are, are, are deed real death by a viral strike. Like that, like infects their personality cores and basically destroys them. And that causes That's the only way you are effectively really killed. There, I mean, if your stack is destroyed, like that is, that's, and you're not backed up and you're not backed up. That's real death. And in the book, that's something that's actually pretty hard to do. Like it takes an energy weapon, like, melting it for it to with, be with very yeah. few uh, alternatives that are revealed in later books melting right your stack? <laughs> yeah like melting your stack a stack is but like your stack is not with you right no it it's is. in you it, it's, uh, it's like, in your spine it's, it's in the it's, base it's of your, your neck, of your skull yeah. where your spine meets your skull like yeah. it's like that is where your personality see, and soul resides mm-hmm. um in the show it's like this gigantic fucking like sub vertebra that uh-huh. is just easily shattered by anything uh-huh. it's weird <laughs> they just want to be uh, able to show it to you yeah, yeah so anyway so in the books kovat like envoys are secret police and he washes out because of this thing that happens like he's essentially screwed over by high command and like he quits and he becomes mm-hmm. a criminal because envoys aren't allowed to hold public office or do anything because they They're are so <laughs> they are so good at lying and so good at pretending to be something else that no one can trust them. Understandably um, so. <laughs> so they they basically fall into like organized crime and smuggling and things like that. And so Putin, kind of, uh, in the show, yep, the envoys are revolutionaries and they're all wiped out. Except for him. That sounds yeah. very opposite. of Yeah, the it's yeah. the total fucking opposite. They didn't yep. ever have him be the crazy Gestapo first. They kind of they do. They kind of talk about it, but it's like they, in the show so they make it like part of So this is like the Ultra his... Reader's Digest version. It's not. It's, it's like not. Reader's it's, Digest if it totally flips like the, the point. Flips the script, yeah. Because they in the in the show they have him like being the secret police guy for a little bit, but then he washes out of the secret police to join the revolutionaries, and the revolutionaries call themselves envoys. So you're and saying it'd be like if, the, hey, we, and we, the only point of the revolutionaries by the end of the series, anyway, uh, or well, by, yeah, by the beginning. Don't, don't of say the, it. Don't say it because people haven't seen the show. It just came out. Well, so. I, I, yeah. It kind of be like if they made a Star Wars show <laughs> and like right after the battle, they're like, "This is Luke Skywalker. He's a Jedi." <laughs> oh, what do you mean? I thought he was like, nah, he's not a farm boy. He's a cool Jedi. He's always been a cool Jedi, but he's like a flawed Jedi. No, so. and it's it's actually like making the Galactic Empire Jedis. Oh. It's how <laughs> fucking weird it is. Yeah. I see. It's it's very strange. Not the Republic, the Empire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it changes a bunch of other shit. Of course. In ways that doesn't make any sense. Some stuff feels arbitrary, but it's fine. Like, yeah. he stays at an AI hotel, and in the book, it's the Hendrix, which mm-hmm. is like it's a big hologram of Jimi Hendrix and like the way <laughs> the avatar of the hotel takes form in the book as someone that looks like Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. And in the show it's Edgar Allan Poe 
and they for, flesh that out quite a bit. They do, and 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 I actually really liked Poe. Yeah, and that's and series, I honestly think that that's one of like the stronger things that it does is sort yeah. of flesh that make it makes that more of a character and less of like a sort of pseudo character. Yeah, I've but, just been watching Masterclass of Baking Show. But, awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like it definitely. And there are times where it flirts with the noir style that the book really had. Like the book is very much noir in the in yeah. sort of conceits yep. and the way that it's told. It's in first person. It's ba- it's narrated. And mm-hmm. there are times in the show where it actually uses that. Mm-hmm. And it does. And, and when it starts to do, you're like, "Fuck! Are they finally going to do it? Because this would solve a lot of their problems." <laughs> and they just walk away from it. Yeah. Um, arguably, one of the only things that the book or that the show does well that it takes from the book is depicting one character occupying multiple bodies yes like it's really good at that and that amazingly is one of the things that i thought they would have the hardest time doing well (laughs) because in the book you you essentially see or read about kovach in like at least three different bodies Mm -hmm. four different bodies five different bodies like he starts out in one body on harlan's world where he's killed uh, and he wakes up on Earth in another body, and it goes back to the bodies that he had before uh, he was killed, like when he was part of the envoys. He's sleeved into a different body to be tortured and interrogated, and at the end of the book, there's another body. Like, Are you always the same gender? No, you can... It, and that's something else that the, the book talks about, and that the show also actually does pretty well, is that, like people will sleeve into bot into other bodies that are like different races and genders. Huh? Um, yeah, the, um, it's so I, I still enjoyed alter carbon is just like, you know, a, a sci-fi series or whatever. But yeah. It's not, but the, like, it's not what you wanted. Necessarily. No, it's not what I wanted because like the, the book has such a m- much more compelling, much more original premise behind it and would have made it a lot less predictable to watch as a show. But yeah. I have a really high tolerance for bad sci-fi and fantasy, <laughs> which I think that, and I think that that serves you well, sort of getting through that yeah. show. Like there, there are good parts. Like yeah. the the clone fight. Oh yeah, without getting too much into it, yeah. is pretty good. It's it pretty, pretty well good. executed. Yep, and a lot of the casting is actually really good. The casting yeah. gave me a lot of hope for that show, which yep. was sort of blown all to hell. But yeah. like, there's a lot of very good casting in that show. I agree. Um, but I just, I, it's strange. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre how badly it misreads the book. Although it is, it was sort of shepherded into existence and out of development hell by one of the people who has been fucking up Terminator movies for the last eight years. So I guess it's not that surprising. <laughs> I also haven't seen the Terminator movie since part of three. <laughs> three is fine. Mm-hmm. Three, I, three has, has guts. Three I watched in a, in a uh, a drive through a drive drive in drive in <laughs> not a drive through I watched it in a, to watch I watched it in one of the last drive ins oh wow uh, so. I think three is fine it does three have is cuts. is fine because the ending is incredible yeah three is the one where they end in the bunker right yeah did yeah. you see the end of it yeah, yeah. I mean I, I I was where it, it was at like, a drive in and I was with a bunch of friends like, so we were oh, hardly paying attention yeah. and it was like alright we're gonna do it we're gonna stop it oh actually no, no this is just no, where we no like stopping to make sure you live this right. is where the revolution starts right yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. which around. is like holy fuck <laughs> all yeah. that shit that you thought that you changed nope <laughs> yeah you thought this was all leading up to changing and it was like nah yeah. that was good I also yeah. but Paul, me and Paul always quote that movie because there's like one part where like 
he's talking with a girl and 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger just goes, "Your levity is good," or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it talks and, about their chemistry. Yeah, he's like, and so I was like, and so whenever we laugh, he'll to Paul to stop and say that. And I'll be like, yeah, all right. so. um, well, yeah. I also uh, saw I Tanya, which was quite good. I've heard that's great. Well, we haven't. Uh, I've also heard that's good. It's. I've heard it's very good actually, and I've heard it's really good at nailing the fake documentary not fake documentary but recreated documentary feel like that he like like my friend paul was telling me when you watch at the end and they show the real guy you're like it's you're like holy fuck he's bizarre he is that man yeah he he is he did it so nice you were saying matt sorry oh no no i was i was just saying that like uh, did we want to since we don't play any games do you just want to like cut it short this week i don't think i mean there's not i don't really have any anything else let me see People do like to send in their letters. Do they? At e- letters at eat-sleep-game.com. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someday, oh, we'll, someday would we ever, like, have, you know, rebelfm. dot, I don't know. Com? Probably not. Probably no, the not, g- not dot com. Technically, the letters at eat-sleep-game is just forwarding to a Gmail. And the Gmail right. is pretty accurate. Right. But, <laughs> uh... Emmanuel M. wrote and said, there is a Winter Olympics 2018 game. Um, oh, yeah? Just wanted to let you know there's a 2018 Olympics game, and it's pretty damn good. It's a full-on expansion to Ubisoft's extreme sports game, Steep, called Steep Road to the Olympics. Really? There's even a Steep Winter Games edition, in case you don't already own the base game. Huh. So. Is it just skiing? Uh, and snowboarding? It's snow. Because it snow, Steep had, like, skydiving and all kinds of oh, stuff. Oh, did so. it? I didn't remember that. Or, well, it had wind. It had bodies like wind. Oh, windsuit. Yeah, stuff wingsuit like stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So, I forgot all about that game. Um, well, that's cool. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks for letting me know. We were talking about Olympics games last week. Oh yeah. Also, I got new PC parts this week. Oh yeah. What but did not you get? A video card. Well, I so long story is that my friend Brian, is a friend at Nvidia. He got a 1080 Ti. Uh huh. That he he then took out his SLI 1080s that he had whoa and he gave one to me and one to paul oh nice in return i gave him my 10 i'm going to give him my 1070 he's going to put his 1070 in his living room machine i say that's a good idea and then he's taking his 1060 and just selling it wow so there's a there's a cascade of of video cards (laughs) going down redistribution (laughs) where i'm getting i'm getting his the only reason i haven't put in the 1080 yet is that i like my 1070 because it has three hdmi outs and that's really hard to find in video cards what does the 1080 have uh, one HDMI out and three display ports. Display ports. Like full size display port or yeah, full size. Port? But I just don't have I just don't have any display port cables. So that's yeah. like one of those things where I'm like, how am I going to make that work with my Vive? I'll Mono make it work. Adapters. I know. No, but they're HDMI to display port. Like it's not even an adapter. It's just it's a just cable. cable. Yes, I just need. Yeah. I, long story short, I just need to get these cables. So I, know, I have that. But still, I got myself an 8700K. Hmm. I got myself nice. Uh, a new motherboard because obviously you I, had to. I had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I bet you I know the part of the build that hurt the most. I've been told the cooler is the same slot between the old. LG yeah, that sounds right because they stopped selling. They stopped including coolers with the with the chips. Well, I'm saying it's the same cooler from even like my 4700K. Yeah, it's they, probably they, fine. But I so I bought a big old cooler for my old build mm-hmm. five years ago that I've never used. That I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll just use that. Oh, nice. And yes, the most painful part. Is the RAM. Was RAM. Oh, I bought yeah. a 3,000 clock speed RAM, and it was $200 for 16 gigs. Yeah, yep, $200. Four, I assume. 
yeah ddr it has to be that's yeah. the thing you have to have ddr i was like because me i was like oh cool arthur gave me 16 gigs a while ago i'll just throw it in and i was like nope. can't do it and i was like what do you mean i can't do it so you so you, so you do know that 3000 means it's overclock speed not this not its operating speed right um no because uh ram ram rating is not based off like what it runs at it's based as it's based at a theoretical run speed that's fine and you Whatever actually, actually you actually have at. to well it's going to run it to 33 by default so you actually have to go into your bios and load a profile and Wait, really because uh, i've never loaded profiles for any ram i've ever had so you're saying it's all yeah. just run it I mean that that's that's what one of the one of the modders on GeForce Garage told me because I told him I when I bought built my PC last year that it was you know that it was three thousand speed whatever RAM well, like, and he told me all about like the like that's not that's not what that's not what it runs at by default it actually will run at two thirty three in your BIOS and you actually have to go in and tell your BIOS that your RAM can run at a certain speed with a certain voltage so it's it's a little bit so it's essentially an overclock operation in order that's to get it to run at three you know whatever ram arthur gave me i never did anything other than slotted it in the board and called it a day you know right what I, mean? I mean there have definitely there was at least one pc build where we had to manually set the ram timings or your shit wouldn't post um yeah and my pc actually like it was one of the first ddr4 motherboards and mm-hmm. i definitely had to i have to have the fucking ram timings set manually or it won't post well i may be doing some things so i need to do that and then i need to find the ssd arthur gave me i'm going to do a fresh install windows reconfigure yep. his computer and then i don't know what i'm going to do with this motherboard i'm going to have basically a full i'm going to have the computer i built in 2012 i have my 770 the processor <laughs> the ram i feel like i might just get a case and a power supply and kick it to my parents or something oh yeah so or you just like have it in your living room true yeah or turn it or, into a steam streamer well, I already have a, the the little stream Steam thing, and I also have my razor blade, so it's really superfluous right. for me. Yeah, but well, considering the uh, the price of video cards, you could probably sell your video card, even though it's an older one. Seven seventies are not cut out for crypto mining. Apparently. But either way, it is a terrible time to do, <laughs> be doing PC stuff. But I just man, I've been really processor limited for a while yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. It well, was, are you gonna find I almost egg? did a Ryzen build because I was like reading my Ryzen, mm-hmm. but I was like, ah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I just got to the thing where I got paralyzed by choice, and I was like, I'm just going with what I know. Yeah. <laughs> just give me this. Are so. you gonna Are you gonna finally stop streaming at 720p? I haven't been streaming at 540 when it comes to Rainbow Six because wow. for some reason my computer shits the bed with that game. Yeah. It's a CPU limited game. So mm. yes, hopefully I will be able to stream it. Maybe 108030. I do 108060. Like so maybe I'll be able to do 108060. I just didn't yeah. want to. I just didn't want to say something that sounded really stupid. No, because I don't know what is normal. Yeah, it's pretty viable these days. So if I can stream a 108060 while I play games, that's yes, especially what with I would as like many cores as that processor yes. has, yeah. and especially with the 1080. So yeah, I'm hoping that yeah. I mean, I'm effectively doing a crazy upgrade basically. Yep. So I'm hoping that that will be the case. Getting new computer parts. It's been like five years since I really did. You know it. what's fucked up about the crypto stuff, aside from the price gouging, mm-hmm. is that there's absolutely no impetus for Nvidia or AMD to make better cards. Yeah. I mean, they still will. No, they won't. They'll release cut down versions that are functionally the same for at least another year before they release mm-hmm. new cards because they don't have to. Well, until we get like hardware on the. I mean, I don't know if there's any reason to at this point either. Like. I don't know. 
We're not going to see like a big jump in graphics again until I think the next console generation. You don't you don't think that the you don't think that AMD and Nvidia will release new cards just to have a new product on the market that they can charge top dollar for? I think that they think can do die shrinks on existing cards and add more memory and a few more cores and it's mm. going to be essentially the same tech. Oh, mm-hmm. well yeah, I could see that, but yeah. I definitely think they'll like you said add more memory and et cetera, et cetera. So Anyways, exciting times. PC parts. It's always it's always scary because you're like it's so many hundreds of dollars. And then when you do it, you're like, ooh, ooh. yeah. <laughs> so. I, I need a new case. I don't think I'm gonna put, build a new PC anytime soon. But. I bought a really unassuming case for my last PC build, and I almost the other day saw like this really garish yellow and black one, and I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, need, I cannot recommend my case enough. It's expensive, but I cannot recommend it. Oh, really? Something yeah. about my. The more recent motherboard I got to put in that case broke my favorite feature about that about my case, which is that it has hard drive bays on the top. Yeah. So you can just slot them in like putting toast in a toaster and right. they just don't work with that motherboard for some reason. Oh, it's sucks. a big fucking bummer because that was like my favorite thing about that motherboard. Dude, seriously, to have a toaster just built into the case. I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember seeing your hard drive yeah. stuck in like yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's that's a really nice feature. That would be really useful for video work. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> it sure was. Uh-huh. And for backing shit up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, I, I always think about Arthur when I buy computer parts because I hmm. didn't really ever do a real PC build myself until like my first PC build that I kind of half-heartedly did was with I'm sure Arthur. That you remember my one key piece of advice. It, well, it, are you talking about read the good and the bad reviews? Read the mm-hmm. read the absolute best reviews. and read the one stars. Yes, mm-hmm. I do both of those things mm-hmm. so that I even when I see it, like a, the motherboard I got was only four out of five stars, and I was like, that's fine because I want to see what these one star people said. Ah, a bunch of people had to RMA it. I uh, understand. Yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. totally happens. Yeah. So, yeah. So the uh, if you do find yourself wanting to get a new case, I can absolutely recommend I the Fantex Enthu Evolve. That case is the fucking best. How big is it, though? Uh, it's it's a mid-tower, so it's not very big. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. that's the thing. is I like I like it when it's small enough that I can carry like this and not feel like I'm carrying around like that feeling of a gigantic old CRT or something. Yeah. So you're carrying some, a tombstone. Some people's ge- cases, ga- especially gaming quote cases, mm-hmm. get a little fucking out of hand. Yeah. Like when I used to carry, oh, when yeah. I used to work at IGN and we had those, remember those Alienwares the we Puerto had? The Puerto Rican Day Parades. Yeah, they, yeah, because we call them that because you could set them to have like the craziest because lights. Because I specifically set <laughs> Yeah, Arthur set his to be every marshes. other light and it was constantly just... <laughs> through every color of the rainbow like differently at every part of the case yeah and but those things weighed like 80 pounds it felt oh, like god. they were just like yeah. these and it was because they had like you know pneumatic parts you would press and be yes it was so stupid you turn it on and they had fan tops that would like uh-huh. motorize up you know, oh god look we're pushing out air and you're like oh god they weren't even that good either uh-huh. no they were not worth the weight that wow. was for sure so well the uh this case that I have that I that I keep recommending uh, is uh, it's big enough that you can fit a motherboard and you know the drive bays or it's really built more for a reservoir but the drive bays next to it and then below everything like the uh, the the PSU huh. and that's basically how big it is. It's as yeah, big okay, as that's those exactly components. like mine. That's yeah. a, I might have to check this out. Yeah. That's going to do it for our show. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for writing in. Thanks for sticking around while we talked about everything but video games. Much, so. <laughs> Hopefully next week. Either we won't record or we'll just have some games. Because I'm going to go see Black Panther on Thursday and Wednesday is Valentine's Day. 
Oh, I see Black Panther so bad. I've seen it at the Grand Lake. My, sh- my fiance doesn't listen to the show. I got I made her a shirt off a drawing that I made at one point, and she <laughs> said, "Oh my god, I want that tattoo." And I was like, "Figure." I was like, "Okay, I will." I had someone make it, cut it out in Photoshop for me because my Photoshop skills suck. And then we, I got no. It's a little drawing I did of her dog with with weird dragon wings, and she looks all evil. And my fiance <laughs> thought that was awesome. So, fair enough. <laughs> That's great. It's surprisingly easy in our modern day age to be like, can I put this on a shirt? Yeah, put it on a shirt, dummy. And we'll ship it to you. Yeah, yes. here's the fucking shirt. So, uh, not like back in the day in high school where I had to make my own shirt out of iron on things. Yeah. So. Tell them where to send the fucking email so we can get it. Letters at eat-sleep-game.com. I have Chuck money on Twitter. Arthur's at A-E-G-I-E-S. Matt is at Talking Orange. You can find Arthur on Instagram at Pragmagic. I'm at twitch.tv slash Chuck Money. Uh, send your work at Terry5.tv for video stuff. And with that, we're out. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a good life. <laughs> Turn into a fucking Micro Machines commercial. <laughs>